Hello and welcome to Ilani Talks, a podcast focused on redefining self-care and love for your mental health. I'm your host, Ilani Salcedo. Throughout the podcast episodes, I share my own experiences while others feature some truly wonderful guests. Listen to the very last episode of season two featuring guest Lily Markle. In our conversation, she shares Ayurvedic practices, the meaning of the doshas, a zipper visualization meditation, energy alchemy, and so much more. Hi, Lily. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thanks for having me, Ilani. It's good to be here. It's honestly such a pleasure to have you here, and our prior conversations have already been so great, so I expect nothing less from our chat today. Oh, me too. I've been really been looking forward to this all week. <laughs> nice change of pace today, right? Absolutely. It's raining here where I am, up in uh, northern Ontario, or southern Ontario, I guess. Uh, I call it the north, the great white north, but it's mild and rainy, so there's nothing better than to be cozied up here just having a chat. Yeah, exactly. Same here, too. It's cloudy and it's not rainy, but it definitely has that same kind of feel. Mm. As we start our conversation, can you share what you do and what you want to be known for? So um, as we've talked about in the past, I work in the healing arts and wellness industry generally, but uh, to speak more broadly, I teach yoga, meditation, I practice Thai massage therapy, and with that Ayurvedic therapy. And I also consult for businesses as far as wellness programming needs go. So that could Mm -hmm. be redesigning a space that optimizes wellness for human health in the built environment. Um, It could mean creating wellness programs for individuals or companies or entire buildings at large. But yeah, I've had lots of different past lives, I like to say. I worked (laughs) in business development, fundraising, strategy, cultural placemaking, like um, creating festivals, uh, all kinds of all kinds of different things. And as you and I have talked about before, background in dance and performing arts too, it all uh, kind of leads leads me to where I am today. What was the other? Oh, what I want to be known for. Um, so I like to say, this is such a good one. I want to be known for someone whose actions and words reflect the pursuit of balance. So I think Mm -hmm. we'll be talking a lot about balance today, but I also want to be known for my ability to empower individuals, just people, friends, family, coworkers, strangers to realize that their true nature or their innate well-being is inherent and that they do have the power themselves to find and make choices that support freedom from suffering ultimately. Yeah, that's heavy, but, but, uh, and a lot to write on a tombstone, (laughs) but ultimately, yeah, balance and realizing that we are truly healthy as, as a start anyway, and, and as our center and, um, and we can always come back to that. Right. And that serves as such a, a great reminder to start out our conversation to anyone who's listening that, you know, we are, we are meant to to be greater than what we think we are, and mm-hmm. also we have that power to just be the best we could be, to like mm-hmm. never lose sight of that. Absolutely. 
And it doesn't have to be overhauling your entire life to be your best self. It can be just tiny little reminders or little activities or actions you take every single day throughout the day. Exactly. So two of the main topics we're going to speak about during this conversation are energy alchemy through the lens of Ayurveda. Can you share separately what energy alchemy is and then Ayurveda? So I'd say in the simplest essence, and I'm not a shaman or anything or claim to be, you know, like a mega healer, I would say energy alchemy is simply just the understanding of where your energy goes and where it comes from and the awareness of that. And so the business side of my brain wants to say it's energy management, like <laughs> kind of like a profit and loss statement, P&L, but instead of numbers, we're dealing with emotions, thoughts, mm -hmm. feelings, memories, and sensations. Our energy and the energy around us vibrate at different frequencies, right? So we can change, and these frequencies can change when they interact with uh, what's known as either heavy or light energies. So heavy energy can feel like depression, anxiety, anger, fear, loneliness. Light energy can feel like love, like joy, peace, gratitude. I guess this isn't a simple answer, but <laughs> I do it's want okay. to some schools of thought. Like this is brought up a lot in shamanism. Uh, mm -hmm. They talk about transmuting negative energy through either an embodied, feeling it in your body, or psychosomatic practices. So psychotherapy, uh, meditation, you could use movement, body work, energy work, sound healing, exposure to nature, all of these things help um, what's what's known as transmute negative energy or, or ultimately just kind of transform energy that's heavy into something that's light or from dense to opaque or free-flowing, kind of open up any blockages. And I also, I believe in that, but I also believe that the, the negative energy can be a tool that we can use for forgiveness and acceptance rather than trying to control or push away these bursts of negative energy that we experience every day. We yeah. can sink into them and we can gain some greater awareness and understanding about ourselves and how we, re how we interact with the world around us. Right. And that's such a, a great point to, to say, to really think of negative energy as a learning tool, mm -hmm. not always something um, that we need to fully be in and only be in it and that's it but really learn from it. Yes, exactly. It's not, it, it is there for a reason. Like if we look right. at, um, at animals, right. Our, our friends mm -hmm. <laughs> who live outside, they, they have tools to, um, to shake off this negative energy, this fear, this anxiety. And, and we used to be able to do that too. Like literally you'll see dogs who, um, who, who visibly shake when there's a lightning storm or a thunderstorm because they're they're somatically through an embodied experience getting rid of this stress or this fear or anxiety um, that they experience and our bodies do it um, subconsciously I would say like before we go to bed at night you might feel your legs twitch or your arms or hand fingers twitch a little bit and that's that's the body's way of getting rid of excess stress before you go into your deep sleep or healing state Within Ayurveda lies the system of three doshas, the vata, pita, and kapha. Each person has a dominant one, and I love retaking the dosha quiz through the Deepak, Deepak Chopra's 
website. Can you share how you've seen your dominant one play an effect in your life when it's balanced and unbalanced? Mm. So Ayurveda, yeah. Uh, I I didn't even explain what it is. <laughs> I don't know if, if your listeners have a, a basis <clears throat> of understanding about Ayurveda, but I can just briefly talk through it before we get into the doshas. I was getting excited about talking about energy alchemy, but they are related, I promise. As far as Ayurveda goes, it's it's a Sanskrit word, basically meaning, I can break it down, but it's it's basically the science of life is how it translates loosely. And so it's translated into the first uh, root of the word is ayus, which is life, and then um, which represents combination of body, the sense organs, the mind, and the soul. And then Veda or Vid is translated into knowledge, which broadly speaking, Ayurveda means knowledge concerning the maintenance of life. Mm -hmm. So the aim is just to prevent illness and to balance the mind, body, and spirit. So it's known as a, a system of healthcare that's practiced mostly in India and Sri Lanka, mm -hmm. with many, many elements working together to prescribe this way of life rather than a treatment after an illness is already set in. So you would you would work a little bit more preventatively and holistically with detox, diet, yoga, meditation, herbal medication, prayer. There's a lot. And and I can mm -hmm. go into a little bit a little bit deeper what my I guess, daily practices with Ayurveda. But the belief is that everything within the universe, including us, are composed of five elements and the tridoshas. So the doshas mm -hmm. you mentioned. So there, the, there's vata, pitta, and kapha, which represent qualities of wind. For vata, pitta is fire, and then kapha is more of the earth energy. So we work to correct the balance of these doshas and the elements that that relate to them and, and play out in them and play out in, in relation to the world around us to help promote health basically on all levels. So what's your, what's your dosha? Did you, you said you took the Deepak Chopra's quiz? Yeah. So, um, my, my main one, my dominant one is Pitta and then, um, 2020 for Vata and Kapha. Oh, okay. Nicely yeah. balanced. Yeah. <laughs> I was so surprised. I was like, oh, wow. 20 and 20. <laughs> yeah. And you could, um, it can change, especially mm -hmm. the less dominant ones. I think you asked me before, you know, whether they change at different stages in your life. And I would say um, when you're born, you're pretty much, you're, you're set with your constitution, especially as far as the dominant one. But I, th I think, and I've read that the less dominant or secondary doshas can, can adapt as mm -hmm. you as you grow, as, as you move around, as far as right. climate goes and that's, and season from season to season. So cool. So interesting. Yeah. I'm Pitta too, dominant. I think we've talked about that, which means in uh, Sanskrit, it translates to that which cooks. So it's about fire. It's all about making things transform, making things happen, moving into action. And that makes total sense, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've seen it play out in so many ways like physically it's it's you see it in in your like physicality as far as gaining muscle quickly uh, as far as digestion goes my digestive system is super fast and really sensitive I usually don't require as much sleep as others to function properly mm -hmm. which I guess is a nice perk being a new mom <laughs> 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 or maybe not a good thing I don't know 
but it's like mentally it's it were you can probably relate we're more analytical driven mm-hmm. goal oriented super focused oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely mm-hmm. so you asked about balance and unbalance I, I think like when, and you can probably speak to this too, when it's balanced, when you, when your pitta is balanced, specifically the dominant one, you, there are good qualities or light qualities. And then when it's unbalanced, there are more heavy qualities. Mm-hmm. And so the, like the good qualities could be that you feel confident, you feel really brave and ready to kind of take on anything intellectual, social, but the opposite end of that spectrum is you could feel impatient irritable mm-hmm. often I get demanding or aggressive <laughs> I used to say I don't know if I told you this but I used to think that I knew I was having a boy when I was pregnant we kept mm-hmm. our son's sex a surprise until we met him but while I was pregnant I would experience this uncontrollable aggression and bossiness and I thought okay oh, wow. this might be the testosterone so I thought I was having a boy playing a role in in my behavior but I'm sure that my surging hormones would have somehow <laughs> like tipped the balance scales and maybe mm-hmm. resulted in this these like fiery mood swings that are very pitta. Now that I think about it, very pitta. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. It yeah. kind of clicks, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's it's cool when you can sort of see it's just a different perspective if with which you can look at your your behavior, your your body structure, your the way your mind works, the kinds of foods you gravitate towards, the temperatures mm-hmm. you gravitate towards. Yeah, it's it's I think it's fun to look at and and I because I've I've gotten a little bit deeper into ayurvedic practice and I, I have an ayurvedic doctor I see it's it's really really helped me as far as health goes. I haven't gotten sick in in a really long time and that's mm-hmm. that I attribute to to Ayurveda. Also isolation. (laughs) (laughs) And that. (laughs) Yeah. No, that that definitely makes sense. And I love how that all does really play into balance, like all different areas of Ayurveda um, really focuses on what you eat and how you move and all the energy elements that is like so important to be mindful of so that you are at your best self. Mm. And if you're not, you're able to kind of um, alter it yeah. As best as you could, you know? Yes, exactly. That's, it's all about balance and, and awareness, right? Like once you understand what my tendencies are and what sets me off, then I can, I can quickly readjust or, or gradually readjust and, and come back to balance. Now that we've gotten a better understanding of Ayurveda, how does the energy alchemy play a role through it? Oh, good question. <laughs> so, Ayurveda teaches us that every action has a response that either moves you toward or away from balance. When your body, mind, and spirit are balanced, the energy within and around you will reflect that. So I believe Mm. that understanding energy alchemy as far as where your energy goes and comes from helps you to understand the soul, which I would say is the most complex of the three out of mind, body, spirit or mind body soul. So some ayurvedic practitioners or doctors will will prescribe yoga and meditation practices in addition to herbal supplements and other techniques to support your overall well-being and spiritual connection. 
but the client may not always practice with awareness, this yoga and meditation of how it makes them feel, but maybe they'll simply just go through the motions because someone told them that it would heal them or with the intent to understand the soul. Mm -hmm. You you see this in in yoga studios too, like someone will, will come in and want a really hard workout when that's not the point of yoga necessarily. I know I'm being controversial in the yoga community, but that's not how I teach necessarily. I did at one point in my career, but over time, as I've gravitated more towards yoga philosophy and spirituality and and therapy, yoga therapy, I'm realizing more and more it's it's about coming into greater understanding and awareness of how you are in mm-hmm. any given moment as you relate to the world around you, the stimuli, you know, responding to it, interacting with it. So we're always trying to achieve in Ayurveda the state of balance, which is known as sattva, another uh, Sanskrit word. So that means simply means purity in which all systems are working together in harmony. In order to understand how it feels to be sattvic or balanced or seeking this kind of equilibrium state, homeostasis, if you're an anatomy geek out there, um, you, I think you need to first understand what it feels like to be in a state of dis-ease, disease as they treat in Ayurveda or dis-ease or disproportionately indulgent in, in some areas or aspects. So this takes practice and awareness and getting to know, like we, like we just mentioned, the tendencies that either support or take away from your energetic balance by focusing on how you feel at any given moment. Feelings mm-hmm. are so hard because they're so abstract, right? But it can be as simple as acknowledging when you become stressed or have a negative desire and how that feels, how that plays out on your body and mind. Mm-hmm. Like, is it heavy? Is it is it hot? Is it right. activating? Like these desires like lust and malice and delusion and greed and anger, which tend to feel intense and overwhelming. I think it's pretty easy to to know what that feels like. But if you're if you haven't practiced acquainting acquainting yourself with feelings, it can be it can be hard to approach. Yeah. So you can become too un too unbalanced by maybe too much motion or stimulation. And on the other end of the spectrum, resistance can be an unbalancing false knowledge or lack of interest can all kind of play a part in, in these imbalances. But to get back to Ayurvedic science, they say that that imbalance or dis-ease has three causes and they're abnormal or unhealthy contact of sense organs. So we're looking at eyes, ears, nose, tongue, skin, uh, those making contact with certain objects. And that could be air, that could be sound, that could be uh, a food or a person, right? It could and then there's the second is errors in judgment, which influence in of time and the seasons is the third one. So it's interesting that that Ayurveda focuses heavily on the time of year, and it can be applied to any anywhere you are in the world because there are seasons, even if some are more extreme than others in different parts of the world. There's definitely change that happens both in the body and in your environment that where you need to you need to be aware of and you need to make adjustments in your diet and and lifestyle accordingly. Yeah. No, definitely. And I just love that we're having this conversation to really bring that awareness because I think we all really need that even if people aren't practicing ayurvedic lifestyles or anything like that. 
but at least be aware that if the seasons are changing, whatever it might be where you're where you're located, that you do need to change. Think about like you need to change your clothes. If it gets colder, you need to wear warmer clothing. And that goes with um your in the inside of your home, as well as like what we've been saying, what you eat and what um the people you come in contact with and all that. So I really yes. love that we're having this conversation. Yes, yes. And it's um winter here in, in at least in the northern hemisphere, the air gets drier, right? And mm-hmm. then when you heat your home, that adds more dryness and static electricity. The all of the electricity that's happening inside your environment, in your in your cocoon, mm-hmm. it's it doesn't bode well for our minds because we have so much tech- technology already in our environment and it just adds to all that extra you know, you could talk about free radicals and and all this kind of negative ion energy that that affects your sleep. It affects at your mood. It affects everything. Um, so it's it's another thing to to be aware of in that way. Because the winter, if we lived outside in caves with our animal friends, we would be we would still be bundled up. We would build fire, but we would also be our our activities would match what's happening as far as the sun goes like the amount of daylight we would right. go to bed a lot earlier right. we would probably wake up a little or we would probably sleep in a little later we would move more slowly to preserve our energy we would eat more slowly we would eat foods that are warm and slowly cooked yeah. um that that you know slow down our digestive digestive system kind of like hibernation but not all of us do that right we're right. not instinctive in, enough in that way anymore unfortunately yeah well fully there's hope <laughs> yeah i was about to say i i hope so or i hope that some people are able to or that we move into a world where it's, where it's a little bit more aware of those qualities that we do have mm-hmm. i think we i think we are i mean ayurveda has moved from the east to the west slower more slowly than i i would like to see <laughs> but people are becoming more spiritually inclined more right. holistic uh holistic health inclined and just more aware of of themselves and and their needs i think on any given day so yeah i i would say we're getting there and and this um this is a great time of year to take stock of that going going inward drawing in is is what the winter is about and yeah contemplation figuring out how we're going to move forward and launch ourselves into the next year or the next season mm-hmm. what examples can you give to bring back balanced energy to ourselves in moments where our actions might be doing the opposite and i think you've probably mentioned that a few times through our conversation already, but is there anything else that you'd like to add on to that? I mean, I can go through a little bit of what my Ayurvedic doctor prescribed me, yeah, what we call a, a daily routine. It's known in Ayurveda. It's uh, called a dinacharya. And it's just kind of, it, it literally is like from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. It's super specific. I'm not going to go through all of it, but it's it's a guide that that I follow to help balance my pitta and, and I'm also vata as a secondary tendency. So um, yeah, routine helps keep my energy levels in check too, mm-hmm. as, as far as going back to energy alchemy. For me, it's structure and routine. So um, one of the things that was prescribed are, and for me, not only for me or anyone who's pitta, but anyone 
could benefit from waking up at the same time every day Mm -hmm. or as close to it as possible. Ideally, the earlier, the better. The Ayurveda says waking up before sunrise is ideal because your morning routine tends to take so long that you're, (laughs) you're starting your day once the sun is already well and up. But yeah, cleanliness is a big thing. So in addition to the usual brushing your teeth, taking a shower, it's recommended to apply oil and to massage the body and your head regularly to stimulate the blood circulation, the lymph and energy to move throughout your system. But also it's, um, it's a detox. So it helps rid your body of toxins and prevent stagnants. And uh, I also enjoy part of this is that Ayurveda recommends putting on clean clothes. <laughs> Who knew? I mean, if you don't have to leave your house, you might just wear what you wore yesterday and no one's going to know. Um, but putting on clean clothes, it, it like gives you this, this freshness, right? This mm-hmm. new perspective and adorning oneself. Like de- they talk about decorating yourself. And I just love that. However, that means for you, whether it's putting on a red lip or your favorite bracelet, or like um, you were talking earlier about your hair products, how mm-hmm. that just oh, made you feel so good. Self-care, right? Yeah. yeah. So exercise, that's a big one for me. And it's, it's interesting because the intensity of the exercise should correspond to your dosha as well. So if you're pitta, you are, your tendency is to overact, I would say, or overdo things. So you should probably look at maybe doing a little bit less intense of a workout. But walking is recommended after every meal for everyone, Mm -hmm. especially kapha people, people who are more earth inclined, go for a really long walk or even do an intense workout because your energy is more, more slow moving. It's more winter, right? It's more just heavy. So yeah, I go for a 30-minute walk after breakfast every day, which helps wake me up too. It helps relieve the desire to have coffee in the morning, mm-hmm. which is meant to be avoided for pitta, unfortunately. That and, is very yeah. unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of great uh, alternatives. Right. Like I'm finding there's this great brand up here in Canada. I don't know if you can get it. It's called Ticino. And it's it's basically just dandelion root blended with um, different seeds, I think, like Ramon seeds, and it's roasted. So it, it actually tastes like coffee, and it's caffeine-free, and it's sometimes it's just that warm beverage that you crave in the morning and that roastiness, right? Yeah. That's, that's so comforting. And cacao, I could, I could probably talk an entire podcast about cacao. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's an awesome alternative to mm-hmm. coffee. If you're going to source some cacao, I would recommend going for direct trade or fair trade because there's a lot of crappy <laughs> brands out there that claim, even at health food stores, that claim it's pure cacao when it's pro- it likely has been processed in, in a factory and overheated. So mm-hmm. the benefits of that you get like the antioxidants and the the neurotransmitter qualities that you get in in the cacao plant that's actually maintained raw and then ground hand ground ideally <laughs> sun dried hand ground mm-hmm. but we're not all in Costa Rica so right. <laughs> we, we but if you go with fair trade then it at least it hasn't been it hasn't been overheated in a factory so you're still going to get the the heartwarming benefits of cacao okay good to know yeah. 
Thank you. And then lastly, of course, I talked about the seasonal routines, um, but I also wanted to, I think it's important to note the mental side or or the moral side of um, that they talk about in Ayurveda. And a lot of, you know, general practitioner doctors here in the West don't necessarily bring up this side of, of your health, but I think it's super important as far as respect for the supreme spirit, however that resonates with you. The el- respect for the elderly, to be of help to others in a time of difficulty, making firm decisions and sticking with them, being forgiving and of a brave nature, being mindful of who you spend your time with and how they may be zapping your energy or demanding too much of your personal time or overstepping your boundaries. So all of these things that seem kind of common sense Mm -hmm. when it's brought up to you by a doctor (laughs) and prescribed to you, it's like, oh yeah, this is definitely what's keeping me from pursuing a state of balance or well-being, or it's a a justification for, you know, not not choosing health-focused activities, right? If you if your tendency is to overspend money and then later feel anxious about finances, maybe avoid going to a mall or perhaps cancel your Amazon subscription, which worked for me. <laughs> so <laughs> right. yeah, it's, it's simple things like this. I'm saying that that support your well-being in so many ways and and make it approachable. Make Ayurveda approachable when you when you come at it from a, a place of a beginner's mind. Mm-hmm. How can I how how can I look at my day and how can I alter my day one tiny step at a time to bring me closer toward balance? And um, of course, meditation. <laughs> I'm a big propon- proponent of that. Active relaxation. It's all it's all my jam. I'm totally with you on that. I love um, I love all those things that you've mentioned. Um, and like you say. These are little simple things that uh, could be like common sense stuff, but someone sometimes needs to tell you to bring it to like your awareness and be like, all right, these are the things I should be doing, or maybe I should pay attention to that a little bit more. Yes. Yeah. Because we're we're in a state of information overload all the time, right? Like our minds are literally processing millions of, or thousands at, at least, thousands of pieces of information at any given moment. So it's okay that we're not aware of how things are zapping our energy, mm-hmm. right? But we, we do have to choose to be mindful about it. Yeah, definitely. I love the zipper visualization that you shared in our prior conversation. Can you share why this is so important to the energy we use? Mm, yeah. So talking about zapping energy, I love the zipper visualization because it's it's something that that I come back to and use when when I'm feeling cuz I'm also I would say an introvert as much as I enjoy talking about what I'm passionate about I know I know that I get my energy from being alone and doing the activities I do alone mm-hmm. um which doesn't mean I'm lonely it just means I enjoy solitude and that those are two very different things so yeah when I'm feeling overstimulated or overwhelmed in a situation where you can decide, so this this visualization helps you decide how much of your energy field is actually interacting with the field around you. So we're generally, as I mentioned, taking in more information than our minds and nervous systems can handle at any 
given time, multitasking, unnecessarily scrolling through our feeds while watching TV, while cooking dinner, while <laughs> catching up with a loved one over the phone and all that while you're trying to be present with, with your family or, mm. or your day, kind of go through what the heck happened today, usually has to do with communication, I would say. And, and it's only natural given that we're social beings who inherently desire to be connected Side note, I think it's important to bring up, I love this, This um, I recently was listening to a podcast by, um, I don't know who the host was, I can find it, but she had Erica Keswin, mm -hmm. who's an author on, um, are you familiar with her work? No, I haven't heard of her. Okay. I just became aware. She writes about bringing your human to work. And she talks about, she actually, I think just released or is in the process of releasing a new book about rituals in the workplace, which I'm all about and can't <laughs> wait to read that. But anyway, she talks about matching the message to the medium. So choosing the best method of communication that honors the relationship in the moment, even if that relationship is with yourself. Going back to the zipper visualization, it gives you a second or two to or a breath or two to kind of step back and check in with yourself before responding to your environment. It allows you to feel some kind of security or comfort in silence and space without overextending yourself. So that's that's something for us introverts, but also for anyone in general. So what what is the relationship you're working with currently? Is it with yourself? Is it with a, a colleague, a professional? peer, you know, a loved one, and what is the message? And and there should really only be one message, not not multiple messages, and give space for a breath and and silence. And uh and I think that the zipper helps you do that. It helps you decide how much space you need for yourself before you then can reemerge and respond right. to stimuli and yeah, right. your environment. Yeah, definitely. And thinking about what you just said about the zipper visualization, are you able to walk our listeners through how to do that for themselves? Yeah. Yeah, let's let's meditate for just a moment. So let's uh, find a comfortable seat. You can close your eyes. And you can take a deep breath in through the nose. Let it out through the mouth. Just feel your feet connected to the floor or your seat connected to whatever rises up to support it. And you can imagine you're wearing a sweater or jacket with a zipper. And you can imagine there's this field of energy, this sort of ball of light around you. It could be color, it could be moving, or it could be still. Any distance away from you is perfectly okay. This ball of light could be really close, it could be far away. Now I'd like you to connect the bottom of your zipper just visualize this happening with your hands on your body. And now first see that light or that, that energy field around you as wide as you can imagine, taking up the entire room. 
interacting with other bubbles of energy that radiate off of other objects and people who might be around you. As you slowly send your zipper from bottom up, watch as your field comes in. Watch as that that bubble of light around you moves closer to you. Zip up halfway and see how that plays out in your mind and your body. Let your belly soften and relax as you breathe. And then watch as that field of light comes even closer to you, gets smaller and tighter to you. Zip up a little bit higher, maybe towards your heart. And feel this warmth and safety and security. Feel the stillness inside yourself. And then feel the stillness around you. And then you can take another deep breath in through the nose. Let your hands go and out through the mouth. And you can open your eyes and take in your environment again. Maybe you feel a renewed sense of peace or connection to yourself. So that's that's the zipper visualization. You could do it with, uh, with anything really, without the zipper. But I find that for those who are more tactile, enjoy you know, actually seeing themselves do something as opposed to this sort of abstract light that surrounds you that we can't actually see. Thank you so much for that. Mm, My pleasure. That was wonderful. I think I really needed that. (laughs) Mm, I think we all do. Right. So that one is uh, inspired by, uh, I actually went to a wellness conference and learned that from a an Aboriginal or Indigenous um, uh, elder. And that was, so that's a technique that they use in mm. Indigenous communities. So it's cool to to kind of draw from, draw what's useful to you or what's interesting to you from different uh, modalities and communities. Yeah. Now, this type of visualization is definitely a meditation like we just did, but it's going to lead me to switch to the topic of yoga nidra and its effects for resilience. Since this is something you offer through classes and workshops, I'd love for you to explain more about it. Love to. As I mentioned, yeah, meditation is my jam. So yoga nidra loosely translates to the sleep of the yogi, and it's not actual sleep. It's just that you're in a state that's often achieved by a yogi, a dedicated yogi in meditation. They achieve some of the state between deep relaxation and sleep. And that's where we activate deep healing. We experience what's known as these theta waves in your brain, where you're, you're moving between sleep and wakefulness without losing awareness, if that makes sense. So I like to call it sleep with awareness. So it's it's basically a guided relaxation that meets internal observation of thoughts, feelings, emotions, images, belief systems. 
And in the context of our modern lifestyle, many of us suffer from stress, stress-related dis-ease or disease, as I mentioned earlier. So you have ease and then you have dis-ease. Mm-hmm. So yoga nidra and scientists who've studied the effects of it on the brain and the nervous system recognize that this state of dis-ease stems from excessive identification with the psyche or the mind, which mm-hmm. I think many of us can relate to, especially in this very much career-driven world. So yoga nidra, I would say, helps alleviate this tendency through applying the opposite technique. So identifying with the somatic or embodied experience, and that results in a liberation of prana, which is a Sanskrit word for energy or nervous energy. And then the energy can be redirected for healing and rejuvenation of our overtaxed tissues, glands, organs. It's it's a powerful, it's really powerful. <laughs> it helps a lot with sleep. So it's it's moving into a space of sleep. And they say that um, sleep with awareness, so you're fully conscious, but mm-hmm. you're also sometimes drifting out of consciousness. It's it's subconscious, right? So it's they say that one hour of yoga nidra can be the equivalent of four hours of deep actual sleep. Oh, wow. So yeah, that's something that's wonderful. that- Yeah, something that can be employed if, you know, if you're a student, you know, you have, you're cramming for exams or, you know, if you're traveling and you're jet lagged or if you're a mom and you, you're not sleeping more than four hours anyway a night. But it's also used a lot with trauma. It's it's incredible, incredibly healing because it's so safe. It's um, because it helps liberate this nervous energy. And as I mentioned before, through energy alchemy, it transmutes that and redirects it, in essence, into like literally takes takes this nervous energy out of our tissues, which have sat there for who knows how long, especially when you've experienced trauma. So it's used in the veteran community quite a bit, and uh, the studies are astounding as far as its effectiveness. Yeah, oh, that's beautiful, beautiful, and and I love that because I did take one of your classes once, um, and I think around that time, I don't know if I was like stressed or not really paying attention how I was actually feeling, but my body was in so much like like not pain, but I was like achy during that whole Mm. entire time. And I love meditation. I've been doing it for years, but I was uncomfortable. But I pushed Mm -hmm. through. Um, um, I'm a a person who definitely, when I start something, I'm going to finish it no matter how uncomfortable I am. Um, I'm going to just push through and and make sure I I finish it up. But but yeah, it does work really well. But I love knowing that it's equivalent to four hours of sleep. Yeah. It's so rejuvenating. Yeah. You can sometimes feel really sleepy after practicing it, but you can also sometimes feel like you had a full night's sleep, just depending on where where your body's at. But yeah, it's normal that you that you experience pain or your your awareness of pain is heightened because your awareness of everything in your body becomes heightened when you're doing yoga nidra. Um, so you'll you'll remember we we kind of worked through this guided relaxation starting with the body, like the physical body. Then we went a little bit deeper and worked with the breath and then the energy body and then got a little bit deeper into the emotional body before we uh, 
um, opened ourselves up to to joy, to bliss, to this state of samadhi, which mm-hmm. is another Sanskrit word for um, basically presence, for bliss, for uh, our true nature. This is our this is our reminder that we're innately healed, that we're already whole, we're already healed. We just needed to come back home. Yeah, definitely. That's beautiful. Before closing out with our last topic, I'd love to fit in the we versus I mindset. What are your opinions on this and how to restore the balance in mind and body, which is so incredibly necessary today and moving forward? Yeah, we versus I mindset. This is such an important piece in the conversation and, and goes along with the what I mentioned earlier as far as the mental and moral discipline practices in Ayurveda. So being a way to help restore balance and preserve your energy. And now that I think about it, I was reminded of this concept, we versus I, during pregnancy and postpartum. So when I realized that my body was no longer mine for a time Mm -hmm. and my thoughts were no longer about me and every ounce of my energy I poured into keeping a little human safe and nourished and loved. So when we learn learned I relearned basically about this selflessness and that's something we teach in yoga right there's a, a portion of of yoga which is seva service selfless acts of service and we learn this through inclusivity yeah in other words adjusting to answering to we instead of I how can I show up and be present for my community how can I show up and be of service and for me as a mom um I learned about, I learned and was reminded of this concept through when it came to nutrition. So instead of giving in to any craving I had at any time, I, I stuck to a regime of a steady flow of powerful nutrients, thanks to my Ayurvedic doctor, <laughs> but gave my baby an opportunity to thrive early on before he was even born. Rest, and that wasn't just for my own self-care, but to improve my mood, which supports the relationships around me. It helps me, enables me to ask for help when I needed it, which Mm -hmm. is hard for me, for us pittas (laughs) who are very independent Mm -hmm. and strong and and strong-willed, but also language. I think language is so important in how you use your energy, right? Like even just limiting the use of I in conversation. I actually just finished a book, highly recommend. It's called The Book of Joy, and it's it's you've probably heard of of it. It's been around for a while, but it's um, basically a long hangout sesh with two of the greatest spiritual leaders of all time, the Dalai Lama and Archbishop uh, Desmond Tutu. Amazing! And yeah, it's so fun. It's it's got lots of gems of um, of wisdom, and and it's real. So the Dalai Lama talks about being at a gathering at Columbia University with medical scientists and researchers, and one of them brought up the fact that those people who disproportionately use I or me or mine has a significantly greater risk of having a heart attack. Oh, wow. Which I think makes sense considering stress can lead to high blood pressure, which directly affects the heart. So yeah, with too much self-focus, your vision, the Dalai Lama says, becomes narrow. And then fear and distrust come from too much focus on yourself. So yeah, thinking of the collective we instead reduces feelings of isolation and loneliness and that we're 
it reminds you that we're all the same human being. Our interests and our future depend on other people. Yeah. You know, as much as we want to be independent, that is so true. And I think as I'm personally getting older, that is even more true. Like I, like you mentioned, it's really hard for you to ask for help. And I think I'm very similar in that way. So we need people as much as we rather do things ourselves sometimes. We're, we're social beings and we can't neglect that part of us. Absolutely. I 100% agree. Like we're, we're, we need connection. We're interdependent, right? It's, yeah. It's all about how we we find connection and and contribute to our to the greater community. It's it's ultimately I would say the the biggest message of that book is um, is humility and and generosity. Some some of the I would say those are the two of the most important aspects of of finding joy. Are yeah, yeah, generosity and humility. Just eliminating this focus on yourself and so much anxiety will will just dissipate when you when you turn it around and, and turn your vision into the collective talking about energy balance ayurveda lifestyle and all these balancing modalities let's shift into motherhood and how it's altered all that you were before it and how you've learned to adapt more or less to who you need to be today mm, i love that question mm-hmm. cuz it's always a balancing act yeah. being Becoming a mother, becoming, yeah, who I need to be today, which is different every day. Yeah. So the, I would say the, sh- the biggest shift has been the restriction of me time, especially now that I that my son is almost a toddler who needs constant watchful eye. Um, it can sometimes lead to making me feel defeated on days when I, I don't like, uh, yeah, I don't follow a certain routine or schedule or certain rituals because it ends up being that I'm just trying to keep it all together and not spending any time taking care of myself. When I do have a little, and I did bring this up earlier, when I have a little structure each day and I'm motivated and organized, I, I because I have less time for myself, I can actually plan ahead to do things that light me up when baby is in play mode or when baby's napping. Okay, this is my time to roll out my yoga mat or, you know, listen to that podcast while I clean up the kitchen or take a nice luxurious shower and rub myself with oils. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Ayurveda, I love it because it's all about following a routine that helps you function at your optimal level. That, and then I would say the second change worth noting is, is again, that beginner's mindset. So being a new mom, I think has really helped me slow down my processes put less pressure on myself to do everything right, which is a very Pitta tendency. <laughs> um, I used to, well, I, I used to live in New York and my I planned my days based on by the minute basically was, was booked. I literally had no time to breathe or eat or anything. Um, and so slowing down and putting less pressure on myself, I'm reminding myself that I've never done this before. Mm -hmm. And that can be such a blessing. And I think it's a reminder that we should approach other aspects of our life that way. And and when you feel inadequate, you try to remind yourself that all people have these feelings, especially moms, but all people, (laughs) and try to understand these feelings with curiosity and acceptance as if you're 
treating yourself like the child or an elderly person who's, you know, a child learning to feed themselves or an elderly person who's lost the ability to feed themselves. You treat them with kindness and and care rather than rejection or self-judgment. So hopefully you do the same for yourself when you're learning to do something, you know. And that's so needed. When you're learning, you should be less judgmental of yourself, especially like you say, if you're learning something new and you've never been through it, don't judge yourself. It's okay. Yeah. We all start somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. We literally started with not knowing how to, how to breathe (laughs) on our own. (laughs) Right. Figured it out. And now it's, it's second nature. Literally. We don't think about it. Yeah, no, definitely. Such a great reminder. Lastly, since Ilani talks center around redefining self-care and love for your mental health, what's one key point you like our listeners to take away from our conversation today? I always say in my yoga classes, when we're working on balance poses, especially, remember that the process of finding balance is never finished. There's no one solution. It's all about having the patience and the discipline to check in with yourself constantly and make micro adjustments, just like your muscles do, your ligaments, your neurons, your breath would in a yoga class. And if you fall over, you gain even more strength, both mentally and physically, by getting back on the mat or getting back to finding balance again. And just knowing what actions or small self-care tools you can reach for in your tool belt at any given moment in the day when you find yourself sliding into unbalanced mode. So always thinking about ways that can move you closer to balance. So if that's getting outside for a walk, asking a loved one to watch your kid or, or take over a task while you do something else productive or actually sleep maybe do yoga nidra so that you get enough sleep seriously it's such it's such a shame that that so many people struggle from from sleeplessness and insomnia yeah i would i would say that and and be conscious of what mediums you're using to either consume or communicate information and how they support your relationships that's that's so important that's huge yeah definitely Well, it's truly such a beautiful time, Lily. Thank you so much for sharing this space with me and offering the audience your advice on these topics for our overall balance. Thank you. It's been so fun. I I could keep talking for another hour. (laughs) I can't believe it's over. I know. I'm sure we'll speak again. Thanks, Ilani. Thanks for tuning in this week to Ilani Talks. Refer to the show notes for details we discussed in this episode and more about the guests. To get in touch, send a DM on Instagram at Ilani Talks. And if you enjoy this podcast, visit ilanitalks.com to sign up for the newsletter at the very bottom of the homepage. By signing up, you'll receive exclusive information that only subscribers get. Until the next one, with all my love, Ilani.